up, y'all? Hey, folks. Welcome to this most unbelievable podcast. We are your hosts, Paul Fitzgerald. And Sherry Spiegel. You're listening to season two, our first summer season. For the next few months, we'll take a look at a thread we began last season in our Rates of Things episode. We'll take several episodes to explore how we process and experience things. First in the body. Then in the mind. And finally, and most challengingly, in the heart. We would love your feedback, so please feel welcome to leave us a comment or a question on the Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Or you can send us an email at thepaulandsherrypod at gmail.com. Of course, you can also find all of this on our website, thismostunbelievablelife.com. Please subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS so you'll never miss a show. And if you like the show, we'd appreciate your rating on iTunes. Or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out, too. We're so glad you're joining us on this journey. And on with the show. So here we go. Hey, Paul, how's it going? Pretty good, Sherry. How are you? I'm great. Here we are, another podcast Tuesday. Tuesday. I love Tuesdays, Paul. I love Tuesdays, too. Do you love Tuesdays because of tacos or because of podcasts? I have not had a proper Taco Tuesday in quite a while, I have to say. Mm. Um, I haven't either, actually. But now that you mention it, I'm thinking about it. We should make that a thing we do. We record a podcast and then we go have tacos with the people we love most. You know, that sounds like a wonderful idea. Mm -hmm. It's a good plan. Yeah, I'll put an order in with Eric when he gets home. <laughs> Paul and I have decided that you're cooking me tacos after I record a po- No, that's not how this goes. Okay. Yeah, I might have to make a supply run for my own tacos. I know. I, everything. I I'm not equipped run. for it. I need tequila, first of all, because you can't have tacos without a margarita. Well, you shouldn't have tacos. That's not proper. People have done it, I'm sure. But Yep, yep, yep. Uh, I always have to have a conversation about what sort of uh, veggie stuff to put in it. You know, mm. mushrooms are good. You know, there's all kinds of good veggie stuff you can put. Oh yeah. In a in a taco. Mm -hmm. And then decisions crispy versus non crispy. Oh oh, I have strong opinions on this subject. How how do you like your tacos, Paul? Crispy. I prefer the the hard shell taco. I thought you might be a problem. Yeah. yeah. I prefer a soft shell taco every time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I grew up with, uh, you know, Taco Bell as the meal of choice in college, I think. Yeah. Um, and this is back when you could get a, I think those crispy tacos were about 49 cents a pop on a Friday night, or they had some sort of Thursday night special or whatever it was. Um, oh, yeah. They used to have this box you would get. I guess they still have it. I don't know. I haven't been to Taco Bell in ages. Um, yeah, I don't I don't uh, frequent the Taco Bell now yeah, that I'm yeah, not like in college. Yeah, a box of tacos. Um, yeah, Which that sounds like a good. terrible idea. I gotta admit. A box of tacos? A box of tacos. It doesn't feel like that leads you to healthy choices or a relaxing evening. <laughs> uh, it, it leads it to something. Uh, well, I feel like it would have an effect on your body. It probably would. It and probably would. And noticing the changes that my body went through, going through from my first year of college to my last year of college, I suspect you're not wrong. I did not always make the best eating choices, I think, uh, mm -hmm. when I was in college. 
Yeah, that was just my segue to our topic for the day. How about yeah, it you? was a good one too. Yeah. So what are we talking about today anyway? This is the f- we're doing, this is a body episode. This is a body episode. Yeah. So we're starting into four episodes that are sort of tangentially or maybe less than tangentially. We'll find out. We'll find uh, out. Related to the body because you and I are super interested in how humans process things and we think that happens in the body, in the mind, and in the heart, and at different rates. And at different rates, myriad mm-hmm. ways that uh, things become known to us. Yeah. And uh, I, I wonder all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, what, 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 what do you lead with? What do I lead with? Um, what do I, and when I say lead, I mean which one of these... For, for me, I noticed that they're sort of lined up. Mm-hmm. Right, and I think we talked about this in the rates of things episode. We did. Um, I I get the body before I get just about anything else, and I feel like it's my my mind that sort of brings up the brings up the rear. Yep. <laughs> on a lot of stuff, which is really makes it really obnoxious when I'm you know with people. Mostly when you're with people like me who start the other <laughs> way around. Yeah, because like um, I'm gonna. I'm going to sit with that for a couple of weeks, and I'll let you know uh, next 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 month uh, what I think about that. It's like, why don't you? Like, yeah, it does what it does, and it does. Um, that does. I mean, that is true to my experience of the Paul Fitzgerald uh, experience, for lack of a better term. Because yeah, like I think a lot of times we'll talk about something, and I'll be like, "What do you think?" And you will be like, "I don't know. Let me think about it." And then, like a week later, you'll be like, "Hey, so I thought about that thing you said." Yeah, let me feel about it. Let me feel about it. Let me feel about it, yeah. I definitely lead with my thoughts. Like, And, uh, in fact, I res- I will try to intellectualize anything and mm-hmm. everything, including, uh, and this is something we can talk about in the space of this episode, um, I intellectualize every even everything that happens within my body. Like, I, I can turn my body into a data set with no problem. Yeah, I can too. I can too. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't. I, I used to have a Fitbit. It's like I can't wear it. I will obsess over that thing. Oh, that's. I will uh, obsess over that thing. Yeah, you know, I have an Apple Watch, and I wore it every day, um, and all the time, except for when I'm sleeping and meditating. Um, but that's the danger with that thing. Is like it can tell you everything. Like it yeah, will, yeah. It's it's disturbingly accurate with like sleep. Hmm. <sighs> Yeah, I don't need to know how little I'm sleeping, actually. Yeah. I mean, maybe I do, but um, yeah, it's yeah, it's kind of a weird thing, tracking your body and intellectualizing your body. Um, but for me, I think it's a lot more comfortable to look at this external thing and say, well, this is what it says. It says body needs this, so I will give it to it. Um, but I think... You, who leads with your body, maybe you're more comfortable at saying, I listen to my body and I've discovered I am hungry. Um, <laughs> I would I would think that would be the case. Hmm. I, I, would, I would hope that would be the case. I'm not sure that it is always, though. Interesting. Um, I mean, we all have our our compulsions, I think, that we live with in this in this world. And for me, it's like I, I eat pretty healthy stuff. I mean, we're members of a CSA. I have a garden, a pretty good size one. We grow a lot of stuff we eat. 
Um, and I'm not eating a bunch of junk, except when I like buy a couple of cans of Pringles at the <laughs> store. Where we won't talk about that. Um, uh, but I, for me, it was always portion control. It was always mm. portion control. You know, it's like I'll eat this really, really healthy thing, and then I'll have like nine more servings of it. Um, uh-huh. I'm only going to have one taco. But I'm going to have that one taco like five more times. And um, so for me, it was always portion control. And I don't know. I don't know. I, I try to trace that back to what, where, where that sort of came from. It might have been the mad dash of dinner time. With a family mm. of six and being the youngest. Uh, yep. You know, it's like, grab what you want because it's going to be gone in under 10 minutes. Um, it might have been that. I don't know. Um, like a fear of scarcity. Yeah, scar- yeah fear of scarcity. It, uh-huh. it, it could be. Um, but I, I know my body has developed enough in my relationship while it has developed enough that I know when I'm not hungry, but I'm eating anyway. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, I know when I'm not hungry. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm eating for the sake of eating. I'm actually not hungry at all. Oh, look, I'm going to eat this too. Well, um, I think that there are weird things that happen in our culture that lead to this. Like, um, the very fact that some there is a thing called the clean plate club, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I remember pe- like, people encouraging their kids to clean their plate yeah. instead yeah. of encouraging children to listen to their body and think yeah. about how much have you eaten and are you satisfied with that? Yeah. I don't know how much we're actually conditioned as a culture, like American culture, to think about what our bodies need and how they actually function. Um, I think that the... For a while, though, everybody everybody was getting a Fitbit, or at least a lot of people. I shouldn't say everybody. A lot of people that I know were getting mm-hmm. Fitbits. I had one. Or, or um, the Apple Watch or something. You know, just keep something that was keeping track of some aspect of their biology or their physiology or their body or whatever it would be. And I don't... And I think that comes with this sort of assumption that if you have this data... That tells you how you're operating from a physical body point of view. You'll be able to make all these wonderful decisions, and you'll lose 15 pounds, and your blood pressure will drop, and you'll get your 10,000 steps, and you will, whatever. I mean, if all you needed to get 10,000 steps today was a device on your wrist that tells me how how many steps you had, I think you would have done it already. You know, like, I don't think that seems to be the solution. Uh-huh. For me, it, it was another way for me to feel like shit about myself for uh-huh. not doing the thing, despite the fact that I had the data telling me, you know, what what I, I was needing. And so I think it it fell a little bit short in terms of an opera I don't know what I'm trying, opera operationalization. There you go. I shouldn't, yeah. I shouldn't even try to say that word. Um, I'm never going to try to say that again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it went really badly. Um, it it just seems like, I mean, it's a cool device and it's amazing technology. And and you probably need it for a couple of weeks, right? Like, um, I you know, when I first got mine, like, I found it really useful in developing awareness, right? Like, um, it's useful to be aware how much or how little you move. Um, and it's something that I... So we had Fitbits around the time that we moved from a three-story 
like three bedroom house to the condo we live in now, mm-hmm. which is, as you know, 562 square feet. Um, by like the very function of, of that move actually had profound impacts on how much we actually moved our bodies. Mm-hmm. Because in mm-hmm. order to do laundry at the old place, I had to go up two flights of stairs. Right. Like, you know, take everything down, bring everything back up. up. Um, like the, I can walk the circumference of my entire place in about, yeah, like, I don't know how many steps. I haven't mapped it, but not very many. Not many. Yeah. So like, you know, if I'm in the house all day, like I could do laps around this place, but still not get 10,000 steps. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, but I think so. What I guess I'm trying to say is that I think having a Fitbit made me aware, oh, I'm not walking as much because to get from one room to the next doesn't take very many steps. But then I'm on the third floor of a condo. Uh, so I do, I did end up getting more overall steps. Right. Like actual climbing staircases, but just not actual steps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's good for awareness, but then after you are aware, like, what do you do after that? Yeah. Um, and as long as, once you're aware, what do you do after that? And if, if you're able to take that information and leverage it towards some, some changes, great. And if you're not, it's just a reminder. Of yeah. <laughs> that you are not, you are not, you know, doing what's right for your body and you're, you're paying this price for whatever lifestyle decisions that you may or made or, job decisions or job necessities or whatever it, mm-hmm. it sort of might be. Well, and it, <laughs> one of the things that's kind of interesting about it is that all of these things are like goal trackers. So, you know, the goal is to get to 10,000 steps. And I guess, you know, there's some rationale for why that, why 10,000 steps. But from what I've read, it doesn't seem like it's entirely scientific. It's yeah, just it's kinda not. Like, eh. It's not. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, but. So there's a sense of like once you start hitting ten thousand, then like you're supposed to up your goal and then keep upping your goal. And um this is one of my problems with like growth oriented thinking is like when like what step count is enough exactly? Yeah, red, you get red queened, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You gotta keep going faster to keep up. Right, yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's an interesting thing. How we manage our humanness. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I think, I mean, the Fitbit is uh, one expression of that. There, there are many others. I mean, I had my first uh, online checkup with a doctor the other day, mm-hmm. and uh, they had to call me the day before and make sure that I had all my information that they needed because they wanted to be efficient and all this kind of stuff. This was far easier of a process by the time it was over than going to the doctor ever would have been. So I'm hundred percent on board with it. Right. It's like, he's going to want to know your, your blood pressure, your pulse, your weight, and your temperature. Do you have uh, everything? I was like, Oh yeah, I got a blood pressure cuff that gives pulse. I got a scale. I got a temperature. Just like I have all these things, mm-hmm. you know, of that tell me do. the state of my, of my physiology. Yet I don't really feel like I leverage any of them. Mm-hmm. To my own betterment. Mm-hmm. I don't leverage any of them to my own betterment. Well, I think So what do you do a, with that? Yeah. Well, isn't there kind of a question of like, how much data do you need? 
Like, you know, like, how often do you need to take your blood pressure? Like, 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 how are you planning to leverage them better, Paul? Well, it's the objective, I think, that is sort of mis- misstated. And uh, I'm just thinking on the fly here. I didn't put any thought into this beforehand. We're getting this as I process it, which has always been the case, I think. Um, it seems like to me that if if the statement is, ooh, my pants are a little tight. I need to lose some weight. I need to get a scale. Because that scale is going to tell me whether or not I'm succeeding in my objective of weight loss. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that we we tend to address the things that we measure. Mm-hmm. And having a way to measure things is not a bad idea. But the original problem did not start with, um, my pants think I'm too heavy. (laughs) Uh They started with, my pants are tight. Why am I getting a scale and not a tape measure, (laughs) which I may already have, you know? Um, Or, I don't know, my my joints aren't feeling as, as smooth and elastic and bendy as they as they used to. I need to go for a walk, so I need to get a Fitbit to count my steps. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, wh- why do you need a Fitbit to walk? Mm-hmm. Why do you need a Fitbit to walk? Um, you can you can walk without counting your number of steps. There's, what's what's so magical about the about the count? And it it seems to be this notion that as long as you're counting something, you're doing something because it's like, well, I walked eight thousand steps and I lost a tenth of a pound in the uh-huh. last two hours. Uh so clearly I'm on, on on the right track with this. And I think the attention span that we have when leveraging data and devices that measure our physiology to our own betterment don't or our interest in maintaining that relationship with that data doesn't last as long as required to achieve the desired physiological body-wide changes that you're looking for. Well, I think it points to a tendency to have a better relationship with data than with our actual bodies. Yeah, it's easier to work with data than our yeah. bodies. Yeah, and I mean, like, I like because I intellectualize everything, I... I love a human experiment. I love collecting data on myself. Like, mm-hmm. if you can think of a data set that I could collect on myself, I probably have it, right? Me too, like, me too. I, it's just, it's, it's sort of ludicrous. Um, and, and at times, especially when I'm under stress, like, it kind of is the only way I can remember how to manage this human person. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, but I wonder, like, is it, is our tendency to rely on technology and data sets for this getting in the way of like what it really means to actually listen to ourselves? Um, you know, I was thinking the other day, uh, there was a day we were going to meditate and I was just like, Oh, a bundle of stress because I couldn't, we, cause we do these morning meditations on zoom and I couldn't get zoom to work and my audio wasn't working and I was so stressed out. And then I just realized, like, what are you doing? You're stressing about having an audio component 
for a practice that's about sitting alone in silence. Yeah. Something has gone, and, you know, and, oh, God forbid if I forget to, like, log into the Insight Timer to get credit for my one hour disengaging from the world. Yeah. Um, At some point, I I purposely missed a day um, with that app because I was just, like, getting so obsessed with, like, don't break the chain. And it became more about keeping the chain going in this stupid app. No offense, Insight Timer. Yeah, we love Insight Timer. <laughs> <laughs> but it was more about keeping the chain going than it was actually doing the thing that is good for me as a person. Um, and I think I, this is my problem a lot of times with like productivity apps and things like that. Like, I think that they are useful for helping us achieve goals, but they don't necessarily address the underlying conditions that might be keeping us from meeting our goals in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, uh, another example that I might pull from my own life here, um, I tend to carry stress and tension in my neck and in my shoulders, mm-hmm. probably like 90% of most people on earth. And You said like that I and I like move my neck to like yeah, release it's like it. I can, I can tell when I'm, when I'm stressed out because I'm like, ah. I'm really carrying it in my middle, up, upper middle back and in my shoulders and in my neck a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think I wonder how many people that are listening right now are sort of moving their probably most of neck them. Around. All right, everybody, so like we are head to the left and then yeah. to the right. Quick and, body scan with Paul. Yeah. Um, uh, and so, what's the answer? It's like, well, I'm really stressed out, and and because of that, my neck is getting on tense. So I should do some neck stretches. Should I? Should I? Is that it? Or should I address the stress that is <laughs> causing my neck to get tense in the first place? Right. Um, yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm gaining weight. And my pants are tight. Do I need to start walking more? Or do I need to have a different relationship with my, uh, with my email and with mm. my job? Or, or with the Pringles that you eat while Pring- answering yeah. emails. And why do I have the Pringles? Well, if you had my life, you'd buy a can of Pringles too, you know, for stress eating. And... It's, uh, it's, it's kind of gets at so many of these things out there are addressing secondary effects of, mm-hmm. of lifestyle choices, not actually, a, not actually addressing the, the thing that actually is what's possibly behind all of this. Yeah. Which not only if addressed, um, might, for lack of a better word, solve whatever physiological issue that is in your mind at the time. But it might also um, improve uh, a bunch of other stuff, too, mm-hmm. like your relationship with your spouse or with your kids. Mm-hmm. Or you just might be a little happier walking around. Or maybe you don't eat those Pringles that you don't even think about. And maybe you do sleep a little bit better at mm-hmm. night. Maybe you don't flop around all night trying to, you know, staying awake. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, negotiating the body. I mean, I think it, it comes down to, I don't know how often, I think about things like cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, and part of what happens within that, you know, I have a worksheet that I often work through with my therapist. And it's like, how do you want to feel? And what do you have to do to feel that way? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know how intentional in a day that I am, like, you know, especially so like right now, it's super hot outside. Humidity's up. 
Um, and so one mm-hmm. of the things that that means is that this human body needs water constantly. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just the very fact of I don't want to feel like I have a headache and I'm going to die. So I have to keep hydrating this thing right. over right. and over and over. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we we don't listen. I mean, it was like we were buying all this stuff. I say that more grandiose than it needs to be. You know, we have all this all this ability to collect all this great data that's going to tell us how our body is, while we're also simultaneously not listening to the information that our body already tells us anyway. Mm-hmm. Stop eating. You're full. No, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to. Um, I'm going to keep eating, gain some weight. Wonder why my pants aren't aren't don't fit, and buy a scale <laughs> to weigh myself, and then buy a Fitbit to, you know, to to count my to count my steps. And when it's when it's put like that, you know, when it's put like that, you know, it sounds a little bit a little bit different. Or what is the relationship you have with your body where you can actually tune into it and listen to it a little more respectfully on what it is trying to tell you. Mm-hmm. Or, so you can do all of that kind of stuff, or you could just, all right, body, we're full, don't need to eat anymore. Oh, okay. You could also just buy new pants. Yeah, you could always just buy new pants. Also just buy new pants, yeah. Problem solved. Yeah. Problem solved. Yeah, that sort of presumes the uh, that the uh, that that's uh, not something that you want to do, but it absolutely could be. Well, yeah. You buy a new pair of pants. Yeah. There are multiple ways to solve a body problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. Um, I think also like everybody's mileage may vary, right? It's a very individualized what one what works for one body versus the other. Um, very individual. Yeah, it is very individual. Yeah. So I'm excited that we're going to spend multiple episodes thinking about the body in different ways. And I think uh, this has been a nice introduction to just general body stuff. But I believe we planned this episode to really focus on the idea of space in the Mm -hmm. body. Uh, And originally when we were laying this out, we kind of, we had already planned to talk about space. And then when we decided to make this a body episode, you were like, space, that still works. So, how is space a body issue, Paul Fitzgerald? Uh, how is space a body issue? How is space a body issue? I mean, there's a couple of different ways that we can sort of get at that, not the least of which is that uh, my body takes up space mm-hmm. and um, it encounters the space of, of others. Mm-hmm. Not as much as it used to. Um, when we were thinking about these these episodes, we were reminded of the phrase "personal space." Mm-hmm. You know, don't or don't invade somebody's personal space. Uh, you can tell when somebody's too close to you because they're in your personal space. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, getting in touch with what that personal space is and represents, um, how far out. Past your skin, do you exist? Mm-hmm. Uh, and how how much do you get to lay claim to uh, in these uh, in these COVID days? Six feet is the is the rule, right? Mm-hmm. Six feet 
you know, six feet, six feet, keep six uh -huh. feet. Um, but just being somebody who takes up space on this on this earth, and I'm reminded of a uh, of a podcast I was listening to from uh, Joseph Goldstein that he uh, he was, you know, he's a mindfulness practitioner and teacher um, for a long time, and he does this meditation that he said um, his teacher taught taught him where the mindful activity or the mindful mantra or whatever it would be, the thought that goes through um, the head that you sort of resonates as you enter the meditative realm, so to speak, is know that you have a body. Uh, uh -huh. You know, and that's in the uh, Satipatthana Sutta as well, the, the, which is sort of the instruction manual on Vipassana meditation. You know, while sitting, you you are telling yourself you have a body. I have a body. Um, it's like that seems like a strange thing to have to remind yourself of, but but does it? Huh? I mean, I think we forget a lot of times that we have a body, and the the way that we go walking around, knocking into things, knocking stuff over, clumsying around, um, liking our bodies, not liking our bodies, trying to change our bodies, trying to fit them the way that we want them, trying to make them do things. Um, for the good or harm to, to other people. Uh -huh. I mean, doing this podcast is an act of our bodies. We have to press things in, in the right order in order to make that happen. We also have to sit in one place. You know, yeah, we have to sit in one place. Um, yeah, we are tethered. Yeah. We uh -huh. are physically tethered uh -huh. uh, to, this, to this space right here. So that's a lot of times how I think about it. And that's, that's, a, that's a way you can sort of think about it just from the start, just like you exist in multidimensional space as a physical thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, <sighs> I think a lot of, and maybe this has a lot to do with the fact that I start in the mind and I don't start in the body. Um, I have always sort of resented the fact that I am a human person with a body mm. because I'm, I've always, uh, and I have a good friend that I talk about this all the time with. Um, like, I'll refer to my my silly, fleshy body, right? Because my body is always my limitation. Like, I could be so productive if I didn't have to take care of this human thing that occupies oh, yeah, totally. space, right? Yeah, totally. Me too. Um, it gets super tired. Like, it wants naps. It has to be fed. Uh, it gets sick all the time. Well, not all the time, but it gets yeah. sick. Like, oh, it's just such a limitation. Um, but yeah, so I think I spend a lot of time trying to outrun my body, uh, or just run my body out. I'm not sure which. Um, so I think the practice of remembering that, like, the physical body is the thing, right? Like that, it's kind of an undeniable thing. Yeah. You do have to get in a space with the body. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're at least in person interacting with people, it's always, no, I guess not always. Um, often going to be the first thing that someone encounters, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. as they sort of see you see you come in, you know, or see me coming. Um, and what are you doing? It's harder to mean, see me. I'm I'm a little shorter. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I mean, reading body language, mm -hmm. body language. I mean, trying to you can pick up on people's moods from what they're doing with their body, or at least you can try to. Some people. Do a better job of that than, than others. 
Um, you can send so much information with the body, facial expressions, how you're holding your shoulders, how you're mm-hmm. walking, how you're sitting. Um, are you sitting as if you're interested or are you bored stupid and mm-hmm. you're collapsing into, into the chair? Um, yeah, yeah, the body, I think, has more authority over over uh, how information is is conveyed than we'd like to give it credit for. I think that's true. I think... Um... I think there's also a lot of messaging that goes into how bodies are meant to occupy space Mm -hmm. um, and whose bodies are permitted to occupy space um, or encouraged to occupy space. So, um, you know, and I think that this is probably a fairly gendered issue. I think that there are a lot of uh, cultural and racial elements to... uh, how we negotiate and how we welcome uh, physical bodies into space. Um, mm-hmm. I know mm-hmm. I received a lot of image, uh, sort of messaging um, culturally that have told me that women's bodies shouldn't take up a lot of space, right? Like women's bodies in our society should be small um, in many different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, even things like... Um, Spending a lot of time thinking about, uh, you know, if you're on an airplane uh, next to a human person, who is going to occupy the armrest between two chairs? It's brutal. It's brutal. Um, It's brutal. But uh, I know... I know, I know how much time I have spent on an airplane being incredibly self-conscious about how much space I take up, um, how much armrest, how much room within the space, right? Um, and I can tell you many, many examples of being seated next to individuals who have no concept of their personal space, um, and have no qualms over the fact that they not only encroach upon my personal space, but seem entitled to it. Yeah, an intentional encroachment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a thing. Um, I mean, there's a whole concept of man-spreading. Uh, the man-spreading. That is, it is a real issue, Paul Fitzgerald. Yeah, I don't know if I do it. Um, I'm sure I must. You know, I'm sure I might. Could you... For our listeners, describe what you mean by manspreading. Uh, not that you know, a lot of a lot of women are probably like, yeah, yeah, and a lot of guys are like, what are they talking about? I think manspreading takes up a lot of different forms, uh, but a lot of times it is exactly what I'm describing on the airplane, right? Like, it is not women who take up my personal space on airplanes. Um, so it is the idea that, like, you know, men will. Often, and I don't want to generalize about all of them, but on more than one occasion, uh, I will have an experience with a shared armrest that is occupied only uh, by the fella who's next to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also has to do with the, let's say, the, the, the span uh, when the legs are situated in a shared space, like be it a bus or anything like that. Um, guys' legs ro- leg room takes up a lot of space. Mm. Right. Um, and uh, 
I think that there are some guys who are very aware of the amount of space they take up and how they take up space. Um, and I think there are other men who maybe don't think about it or maybe feel a little entitlement towards it. Um, but it's just, it is something that I have noticed being, I don't know at what point I became very hypersensitive to the fact that I should be very cautious and very careful not to take up too much space. And then the more I look at who else around me is also trying to make themselves small in a space, mm-hmm. most of the time it's not fellas that are thinking about how much space they're taking up. Yeah, I've done it. I'm on an on an airplane, you know, sometimes you get the dreaded middle seat. You know, it mm-hmm. doesn't happen often. I don't know if it happens at all these days. Um, <laughs> but we've been there. Um, and it's like, yeah, there's a guy on one side of me and there's a guy on another side of me. They're both, you know, I'm like crunched up. It's like, oh my God. It's like, I'm not even going to start a, you know, jockeying for, you know, I can, I can, I can shrink pretty good. It's like, it's not worth it. It's not worth it to, it's like, it's this big seat. He ought to, if he's going to sit like that, he ought to go up to first class or something, but uh-huh. <laughs> really taking a lot of space. But, you know, now I'm getting all this sort of imagery in my head of, uh, like, the conquistadors coming to, you know, North America and planting their flag in the ground. And this space is ours. This land is ours. You know, planting whatever flags they would like to do so. Just this carving out of space. Uh-huh. For it to be occupied um, by a variety of means, some of which pretty harmless and some of which you know, have resulted in the genocide of civilizations. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, I mean, this country's, this is the biggest land grab in, in history, probably, mm-hmm. you know, um, at the expense of millions, millions, millions mm-hmm. of people. Um, about what? About space, mm-hmm. you know, about square footage, about where do I put my body and the bodies that I feel, and the, the body that I feel like I'm entitled to, and um, the the other bodies that are related to mine who are also entitled to to more, mm-hmm. and, and so we're going to have some kids, and they're all going to get a chunk of mm-hmm. that. So I need more space. And the next thing you know, uh, Lewis and Clark, <laughs> <laughs> you know, discover the Pacific Ocean, and you know it. it, it the land is then filled uh-huh. and then you you look for you look for the next space where you can carve something out uh-huh. um to put your to put yourself out of the sense of in, entitled space uh-huh. um why why is it so hard to be content with what you have well and i think it goes to what you were saying earlier like how much space do we feel entitled to is it just our physical body or does it extend to space around us. And I think, I think that there are a lot of, lot of markers that indicate that humans don't feel content only having the right to the space immediately around them. And that, that the domain, the kingdom of an individual just will keep expanding as far as it can go until there is some sort of limit. Um, So, we are, yeah, the- it threatens, like, I, th- I think people have to be very conscious of thinking about the autonomy of others and how when you take up space, 
who is losing space. Yeah, somebody else is losing, especially now, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, especially now, in in some ways, it's been going on, I guess, since the beginning mm-hmm. of all of this. Um, I mean, go to Tokyo. Go to I mean, go to go to Tokyo, to New York City. Go you know to some of these hyper you know hyper dense hyper dense cities, mm-hmm. and the the real estate is so valuable that people cram into it as mm-hmm. best they can. Yet, you know, at the same time, we have the, the housing bubble back in the in the late late early two thousands mm-hmm. in the the there were super cheap McMansions that would pop up, and Super, super cheap in, in that, you know, you got this urban sprawl on this kind of gland, which used to be kind of cheap, and you build this huge house on it, um, and you get, you know, ridiculous mortgages, so you can have this this enormous amount of space that you're never going to need, that you're never going to fill, uh-huh. yet it's the it's the, the cred, you know, and the, and the ego that comes from having such a large place for uh-huh. you to put your, to, for you to put yourself and mm-hmm. the things that you need in order to function, your accumulations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we all know how that sort of ended. Right. Well, and that's, I mean, that's the interesting thing that we do, too, is we, as we take up space, like as we buy more land and we put a fence around it and it says, mm-hmm. this is mine and I don't want anyone else in this space, regardless of whether I'm using all the parts of it. Like, um, and... I don't know. I, I kind of wonder, like, what what is it about us that makes us want to, like, draw a circle around something and be like, all of this is mine. Oh, this is mine, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the other side of it is, you know, I think that there is a tendency to not look at and recognize the circles that are around other people. Uh, mm-hmm. And and their right to that circle around them, um, you know. I I I think all the time about. So when I was in fourth grade, um, there was this guy in my fourth grade class who kept like rubbing his hands on my thighs. Right. What fourth grade? Yep. Yep. Um, so I did what you know you're supposed to do, which is I told my fourth grade teacher. And I was like, this dude is doing this thing, and I remember his name, but I won't say it because <laughs> I have friends who would know exactly who it was. Right. Anywho, um, so I tell my fourth grade teacher this, and she says, well, Sherry, that's just the price that pretty girls have to pay. Oh, my God. Y'all, that's bullshit, right? Oh but, like, at, as a fourth grader, like, how am I processing my right to my own space versus his right to my space. It's horrible messaging. I hope no yeah. other fourth grade teachers doing that kind of shit. Yeah. Um, but it, but, but she, you know, she was a, an adult woman validating that he had a right to my space. Yeah. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Very believable, actually. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Sadly, yeah. sadly so. Sadly so. Yeah. Ay, ay, ay. Yeah. Man, that's crazy. Yeah. I, but I think that's why the issue of space is so complicated. Um, because I think it is natural. There is a natural inclination to want space and want to be able to negotiate the boundaries of your own space. 
And I also think being intentional about encroaching upon the space of others is is something we haven't given enough attention to. Yeah, that requires some self-awareness. Yeah. Um, that, that requires a degree of self-awareness that sort of forces you to consider someone else mm-hmm. and the experiences that someone else is having. And that is a line that some people have a hard time uh, uh, crossing, I think. I think it's hard for people to na- for some people to navigate that. So I'm, I'm sitting in my airplane seat and uh, I'm man, man-spread out. You know, I'm sort of man-spreaded, uh, taking up armrest and my foot's hanging over onto the, you know, into the space in front of the other seat and whatever. And, you know, somebody else is sort of cowering over there. Mm-hmm. I've not done this. Um, hanging out. Um Try, trying to like avoid physical contact as best they can, squished over as they can to the other side of that. Um, why would I, you know, the only way that you could do this is either in a display of aggression that, you know, this space is mine and I'm going to take it and you can't do anything about it or just shocking lack of self-awareness. Uh-huh. Just a shocking lack of self-awareness uh-huh. that, you know, it's not even dawning on me or whoever it might be to consider that this person in the seat next to me is somehow inconvenienced by the position of my physical form. Mm-hmm. So, so my question then is, if we understand that it's either an act of aggression or an act of just sheer neglect of awareness, what kinds of things does a person do to ensure that they are making space for others. Like, how does a person check? Like, what are the signs that you have encroached? What are the boundaries? Yeah, I don't know. You know, I might I might do a better job of thinking about the importance of fostering a sense of thinking about your relation to others around you as you go through this 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 life, um, mm-hmm. we are strongly encouraged in our culture to think of ourselves. I think, mm-hmm. um, and what's what's sort of best for us as individuals, and and everybody else sort of comes a distant a distant second. Um, and that's not to say that it should be reversed, where you're the last person that you think about. I don't think that's true either. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of stuff in between, but. It, well, I, I don't, I don't know even how to start. I mean, where do you, if if someone is so non self aware that they don't know that they're inconveniencing someone uh, unfairly or unduly? I mean, what is saying? Hey, man, could you scoot over a little bit? You're encroaching on my space, and they're going to say, "Oh, yeah, okay, sure." And they're going to, it's like, it's, I mean, it's it's hard even me to wrap my head around the fact that it would be something that somebody would need to do. Huh. And yet, um, yet it does, yet it happens, yet it happens. So with so the I, example, I, I lean towards aggression more than I lean towards lack of self. Because it's like I hope it's aggression. Because at least if it's that, they are self-aware and they're just making a really bad decision. Yeah. <laughs> if it, if it's if it's ignorance, then it's like the society is doomed. Well, so within the context of an airplane, okay, what are the rules? How much space is the person in the middle entitled to? How do they tell to, their boundaries? Yeah, I don't know how to carve up the. I don't know how to carve up the armrest. You know, I don't know how to carve up the armrest. You know, and the airline industry should should address this, I guess, by putting every seat must have two armrests, and that would sort of solve it. Um, sometimes, if you're lucky, 
uh, bodies are shaped differently enough that somebody can have the back end of it and somebody else can have the, the front end. I don't know. You know, I don't mm-hmm. know. But anytime you have a situation where there's three seats and four armrests, there's going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a problem. You know, yeah. everybody gets one and a third. I mean, the math doesn't work that way. Yeah. I mean, you know, and it's it's not always just the logistics of how many armrests do you get. It's also the issue of... Um, you know, if your elbow is hanging over the armrest, you you've have, gone too far at that. You point. have gone too yeah. far. That's a right? clear sign. That's yeah, clear sign. Uh, you think it's a clear sign. I have experienced more than one stranger's elbow. Yeah, maybe you could do like the old Laverne and Shirley used to do. You just kind of get some tape and you just kind of put a little thin piece of tape down the middle of the armrest, and you sort of don't go onto the other. Yeah, I mean, well, the and, side of it, but then what do you do with a half width arm armrest? So, well, but I mean, like, I feel like that is what, as a human person, I'm doing when I'm negotiating space. I'm thinking about what is the fair, like, what is the equitable amount of space that I am allowed to take up before I'm encroaching? And I'm thinking about, like, where's the midpoint? Like, exactly where, where is it someone else's space? Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's typically my inclination not to use an armrest because yeah, right. I don't feel entitled to even half of it, right? Like I'm trying to be outside of the space. Um, and so then if I don't use half of the armrest, does the person next to me think that they are therefore entitled to the whole thing? Yeah, it's a gift to the other person at that point. Yeah. Maybe it's a timeshare where you get the whole armrest half the time. Yep. This is holidays and weekends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But this is all a gentle thing to have to negotiate in the time it takes, you know, to settle into the airplane. To seat, yeah. Right. Um, which is why my preferred mode of travel is to always be in the window seat and mm-hmm. to always have as the middle passenger one Eric Spiegel. Mm-hmm. Solves all the problems. Because I have no problem encroaching on his personal space. He likes the middle seat? He likes his wife. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's that. There's yeah. That. Yeah. So, yeah, Shauna, yeah, Shauna and I pretty much do the same thing, but she always gives me the aisle. Mm. It's always aisle and middle. Because mm-hmm. she thinks, so my leg can hang out into the aisle if I need to. So you can manspread into the aisle? Yeah, uh-huh. so I can manspread into the aisle. Yeah, I think that's her logic on that. But is where so you know i can be kind and acknowledge like your need for leg space and my need for leg space are totally different at five foot four i have never felt like an airplane was cramping on my leg space yeah right yeah Yeah, it's like i'm not like i'm huge you know i mean I'm fine. I don't. I can sit by the window. If no, I, but you are tall. <laughs> I like to. Yeah, you're tall, Paul. Yeah, so I, I appreciate just like her that kindness. It yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I appreciate her kindness with that. But yeah, that it's complicated. It's really complicated. And I, I guess the best thing that the movie theaters ever did, right, was the reclining, reclining seats with, and everybody has their own armrests fully and entirely, and no sharing is is necessary. Yep, necessary. It didn't used to be the day. Um, however, like. You know, sporting venues back when we used to go see sports and 
um, concerts and things like that. They cram those seats in as many as they can. And they design them for humans that don't have hips. Yeah, they design them for humans that don't have hips. And uh, those were, every, in every way, as is, is limiting as, a, as an airplane seat for mm-hmm. how do you manage your space? Mm-hmm. How do you manage your space? Mm-hmm. And how do you how do you converse with the space around you with the body that you have in a thoughtful and considerate way that recognizes the autonomy of others doing the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's, I mean, I'm thinking now about like, there's so many spaces where we think about like our right to space and how to not encroach um, and I, part of me just wonders how much of this will be different as we move forward because of mm-hmm. COVID. Like, you know, I'm thinking about things like, will the middle seat be a thing? Right? Um, yeah. You know, uh, yeah. what will aircraft design look like? Um, mm-hmm. I'm also thinking about like the one place where, like, I'm very particular about space and I, I'm very particular about what humans touch me. Uh, it's a little bit of an issue. It's a known issue for the people who know and love me. Um, but then, you know, at concerts, like, it's a known... Much of course yeah. people are going to touch you. Like, if you're at a punk show and no one's touching you, you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually don't know what it will feel like to be in a music venue without um, that compression because it's for me it's actually part of where the energy of the crowd comes from is from the physicality of the space right? and the bodies like in that kind of environment you actually can feel the energy of everyone at once Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know what that looks like in a world where we make space of six the yeah, well, I mean, with all kinds of spaces, because um, this has been a hard reset for a lot of people on mm-hmm. on what personal space really means. Mm-hmm. And I think for, for everybody, we all just, I, th- I think for a lot of people, we just got a lot of, uh, a lot of time to let that relax a little bit because we are so intentionally giving space between ourselves and people around us mm-hmm. and should, th- and I think where I'm going with this is previously, if somebody was standing three feet, three feet away from me, Hey, cool. Hey, whatever. Awesome. Great. Perfectly fine. Now, if somebody's three feet away from me, I'm going to be like, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, Oh my God, you're close. Yeah. Um, I wonder if our sensitivity to proximity is being adjusted with all this. Well, and for someone like me who has a really hard time with touching other people, um, I may, it make it sound like I'm more neurotic than I am, but I really like it's it's a thing. Um, I actually am kind of relieved by this reset. I was talking to a, a good friend, a mutual friend of ours, not too long ago about how I've always just hugged whoever tried to hug me out of obligation. Um, and I think the world of COVID sort of allows you to press reset. Um, and really think about like, you know, in a world where social distancing has become the norm, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I actually feel like I have a lot more authority to say, yeah, no, I'm not into hugging you. Yeah. Not you personally, but, you know, humans. humans. Um, to reset it and try to figure out, like, yeah, if you're not 100% yes for hugging a person, are you really hugging a person? Like, does it really need to happen? Um, it's a question for me. Um, the other day I was having a very elaborate conversation with my husband about hugging humans and I was demonstrating for him about six different versions of a hug that I will mm-hmm. provide people based upon my actual comfort hugging that person. And it was kind of a shock for him because he, as a dude in the world, has basically like one hug and he uses it for all humans. Yeah. Yeah. I've got about six different hugging strategies uh, to, based upon my perception of the person trying to hug me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a thing that I've learned having negotiated space as a woman my whole life. Um, he never has thought about it because his experiences with hugs are different. Yeah, I think I have more than one. I don't know if I have six, though. I might have two or three or four. I don't know. I will give you a tutorial one day. Yeah, yeah. And then you can figure out which hug I offer you. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that's uh-huh. interesting. Um, but yeah, I think it does. And that, that sort of plugs into something that we've been kicking around a lot lately as well. If, um, if we're not 100% yes on something, it's a no. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And let that rule your life for a little bit, folks, and see uh, see if anything changes. Um, but yeah, this whole physical space contact, you know, absolutely fits into that realm as well. You know, if... You know, if, if you're not 100% comfortable with somebody, you know, with the proximity you are to them, what's going on? What's mm-hmm. going on? And when it comes to physical contact, yeah, if it's not 100%, yes, it's no. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, I think that's an important rule. I also think, you know, you can look into a lot of, a lot of cultural discussions about things like, you know, there are a lot of articles out there about like you shouldn't have to make your kid hug and kiss grandma if they don't want yeah, to. Yeah, right. You know, right. um I think I think our rules for how we let people negotiate their own autonomy and their own bodies, uh the conversation on that I think has changed since I was a kid. Um I think hugging friends and relatives was seen as being polite and kind. Uh, when I was young and mm-hmm. um, and for me and my own personal autonomy issues, hugging everyone just isn't isn't right for me. Um, right. Right. And so I think people people need the space to be able to figure out their own code there. Yeah. So you want I wonder what the language of that is going to be. May I hug you? Yes, you may. Perfect. You know, mm-hmm. and then you sort of negotiate an entrance. Yeah. Is it? As it goes, but that's not the worst idea. Yeah, no, I mean... It's not the worst idea, you know? Well, and so, like, you're saying that, like, it's a brand new idea. Like, yeah. huh, should I ask a person if I should should hug them? Should I ask a person? Um, as somebody who has has (laughs) never in... What a very masculine approach to this I'm taking, right? Yep. Yeah, I mean, as somebody who has always struggled with touching other people, like, I've always had, like, basically... 
you know, even dear people that I hug for the first time, like I, I usually ask them, are we huggers? Yeah. And, and then people can say, no, not really. Okay, cool. Cool. Awesome. Right. Yeah. Right? And it's, and realizing that the, when, when the answer is not yes, um, that it's not you. No. You know, it's not something that needs to be taken personally. Yeah. It's not an indictment of who you are or what they think of you. Um, yeah. And sometimes it's just like, like for me, it's just where I am in a day. Like I remember, Paul, there was a day that you went to hug me and I like kind of like recoiled. Yeah, we and every now and then that happens. The body's just like, no, thank you. We I need a day on our you. own. Right. Yeah. And it wasn't you. We all know I yeah, love yeah. Paul. Yeah. But that particular day, my body was like, rain check. Yeah, and usually I'm pretty, you know, I'm a pretty open to hugs kind of kind of guy. Um, but there was this one time a couple of years ago when somebody's in the office and they, you know, they just, just came up behind me and I was typing something and just kind of put their hand on my shoulder. And I was like, yeah, you know, and it's like, yeah, yeah. and uh, they freaked out because like I, I never responded that way. Uh, uh-huh. To, uh, to I have no idea what it was about that that one time that one place one situation was like yeah just just don't touch me just don't touch me yep well even that day that I recoiled from you I the only day I remember only reason I remember it is in part because as soon as you started seeing me do it you literally jumped like six feet back yeah and you were like sorry and I was like no 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 it's fine it was just a weird moment it's fine weird moment yeah because you know you have consent to hug. Um, the only reason I had thought that was because we had hugged before, so it was that's, a, we had a pattern of we had hugging. A pattern of hugging, so it's like okay, not the worst. Yeah, but it's still like it, you know, it's not a bad thing that you are still mindful that the human that you have hugged, you know, two hundred times before, yeah, right. might not be in a headspace for a hug that day. Yeah, yeah, it's always a good. Because no matter what the situation is, you are interacting with someone else's personhood mm-hmm. in the space that they have a right to in their vicinity. Mm-hmm. Just as someone who occupies space that has a field of influence around them, yeah, maybe not a bad idea to check in mm-hmm. before you before you. make uh, too many assumptions that might be wrong yeah yeah and there are lots of other things that humans can do to show excitement and engagement for sharing space other than Mm -hmm. hugging you know like Mm -hmm. one of the things in the in the post-covid world um so one of my best friends used to have this dog named sadie and sadie was like the most polite dog ever because she would get really excited to see you but she would never jump on you Instead, she would just run up and she would jump up and down next to you. Mm-hmm. And th- I have a couple of friends that since all this happened with COVID, I basically have explained this story to them and I have told them that when I see them, I'm going to be excited to see them. So I'm going to mm-hmm. jump up and down six feet next to them. Right. Um, it's delightful. It still communicates the same thing. And I don't have to touch a human. No touching. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Yep, yeah, I don't hear too many conversations about the 
context and decorum and mindfulness of hugging. Mm. You know, I think it's kind of part of the, I think it's, it's, I think a lot of people assume that it's part of the culture and that it is something that is, that's what we do. Ah, we're huggers. Ah, yeah, that's what people do. Ah, we're going to hug people. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's, uh, it's interesting to have a conversation about it. Well, I think it, it is, I think by many people, it's perceived as a very normative, innocuous thing. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is, I think. But there's a lot of aspects of hugging that aren't. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's, you yeah. know, it's it's one. Of, and it could be. I don't know. I will be interested to hear uh, our listeners feedback on this episode, because I'll be interested to know who amongst you can identify that they have different kinds of hugs that they offer different humans. I mean, yeah, there's, I'm interested in that, too. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's there are all kinds of different hugs. I mean, the Christian side hug, for yeah, example. The side hug. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I will be interested to know if other people have different ideas about uh, their hug protocol, how long of a hug. Um, when I was doing the tutorial with my husband about the different hugs I give, uh, mm-hmm. he was surprised that for most of them, I'm letting go before he even has a chance to like <laughs> reciprocate. I'm like, no, that was that was plenty long. What do you mean? Plenty of time. It's plenty of time. Like, if I can tell you're touching me, you've hugged me too long. In most, I, I do have a, a couple of longer hug protocols, but most of the time, it's in and out. You keep them behind the, the locked door. It's a it's a sniper situation. Like yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's funny. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for the chat, Sherry. Yeah, thanks, Paul. That was pretty interesting. Yeah, I'm glad we had some space to have this yes. conversation. Yeah, it's an interesting how space is uh, taken up, accumulated, and experienced by people. I mean, it's a it's a whole new way of thinking about it. I think. Yep. Yeah. And now that we've had this in depth conversation about physical space and hugging, it will be very interesting because I'm going to see Paul in flesh space tomorrow, tomorrow. and he's going to have a whole complex over how he negotiates space near me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll let you know how it goes. Right, I will have all the armrests. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, awesome. Uh, well, cool. thanks, everybody, for uh, for giving us a listen. Yeah. We'll see you guys soon. Yeah. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. <laughs>